to the announcement on the uh, church survey, I would simply add my uh, pleas uh, to it, that uh, we would love for everyone to fill that out, and I would ask you to please take 10 minutes to serve your church, to love your church by filling it out. Um, another announcement that I need to make in, uh, in this window is that uh, Morgan Lusk, our uh, pastor of Youth and Families, has accepted a call to be the assistant pastor of a large congregation down in Tampa, Florida. Um, this is a great opportunity for Morgan. It comes as bittersweet news. Uh, it's a great opportunity for Morgan and Jennifer and their family. Uh, not only a great opportunity in terms of his call uh, in this church, but it's also where their family lives, some of their family, and uh, it gives him a great opportunity to be near family, which they haven't had. Um, I would say that God has really prepared Morgan. For those of you who know, he's been here for 10 years, a decade. Um, and so for those of you who have known him, have seen God grow him in so many different ways. And he has matured as a leader, as a pastor, as a preacher. God has prepared him for this. And it's an exciting thing for him. And so we see ourselves as sending him into a new field and a new opportunity. The kingdom is bigger than us. And, and God does this kind of thing. It's not unusual. In some ways, what's unusual is that he was here 10 years with us, and that is a good gift. So with that, I would say, um, you know, we are going to miss Morgan and Jennifer and their boys uh, deeply in so many ways. Uh, he's not. Their, their last day will be March the 25th, um, so they will be moving on. We have time to say our, our goodbyes to him. Um, and I would just encourage you to be praying for HPC. We've got a couple of gaps to fill now, you know, totally unrelated in terms of what God is doing, um, but we've got some gaps to fill. Pray for those who are filling those gaps, those who have stepped up in worship, those who will be stepping up in the youth to cover the gaps while we search. Uh, pray for those who are searching. The music search committee is uh, meeting again next week, and, and that process goes on, and uh, a committee will be formed for uh, a new youth pastor, so, so pray for this process. Um, not then uh, inappropriate or in God's timing, maybe providential, that we're going to talk about peace this morning, the peace of Christ and letting it reign and rule in our hearts and in our midst, the great gift of God to us, which is his own peace. We're in Colossians chapter 3. We've been going through the whole series here of Christ above all, uh, and, and we're in the book of Colossians, and we'll see in every one of these that everything that we need, everything uh, that we could hope for is in Christ, who is above all and is to reign above all. And so <clears throat> there are a number of verses here that we've been taking one at a time, or we've started to. We did 14 last week, 15 this week, and we'll do one at a time because they, they weren't digging down and, and, and unpacking and pulling out. They're, this is such rich truth. Um, that it takes a little bit to write it on our hearts. And so, Colossians 3.15, hear the word of God. God says to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that so often our hearts are a turning sea, and there is no peace. Father, you know all that we are going through across this room, so many things that we are facing, enduring, 
So many things that are disturbing our peace and causing us to not be at rest. So we come to you this morning and we sit at your feet and we long for you to speak the truth of your word into our hearts and our minds, not just as information, but as a powerful transformation. Oh, come near and speak peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The peace of every human relationship was shattered in the Garden of Eden. It was shattered when sin entered into our experience. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, all of our relationships were broken, beginning with our relationship with God. And we saw that in the garden, that the peace with God was shattered. That when God came to find them, following their disobedience, they ran from Him. They hid from Him in the trees. They were afraid that something was broken. And they were afraid of Him. And so the, the peace of that relationship that they enjoyed was shattered. Sin brought separation. Peace within ourselves was broken. Adam and Eve were told became self-conscious in a negative way. They became self-conscious and ashamed. They felt exposed and they began to be afraid and to live in fear and hiding, hiding from God and hiding from each other because peace within those relationships between Adam and Eve in our relationships with each other was broken. They began to feel, as we said, exposed and, and afraid. And so they began to hide and to cover up, not just from God, but from each other. And we see that brokenness, even in the first generation and their children, with Cain and Abel and all those who followed. Peace had been shattered on every front, in every relationship. The breaking of the peace, which we see was followed and we is manifest in the curse that follows and the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden, from God's presence. Peace was broken. We understand all of these things. And it's not surprising that the Messiah would be called in his many names a Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, which we usually read at Christmas, says to us, is, uh, is born a child. To us a son is given, the government's going to be on his shoulder, and his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When the angels appear to announce his coming, they not only give glory to God for his coming, but the one thing that they speak over the earth is peace. Luke 2.14, the angels show and they say glory to God in the highest and on earth. Finally, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among us. Peace to us. It's not surprising that Paul speaks of the gospel as a gospel of peace and as a piece of the armor of God when it comes to speaking of the, the shoes. Ephesians 6.15 he says, and the, and the shoes for your feet as part of this armor, having put on this readiness for the gospel of peace. It is a word of peace. Peace with God first and foremost, but then a peace that can come within ourselves and then among us. And so God commands, verse 15, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and among you. Let the peace of Christ, the peace 
of the Prince of Peace rule and govern in your hearts? And you might ask, well, which peace is he talking about? Is he talking about that, that peace with God? Is he talking about the peace within ourselves? Or is he talking about the peace among ourselves? Which one is it? The answer is yes. Absolutely. John 14, 27. You know, John 13 to 17 is the upper room, and it's the last hours that Jesus has with his disciples, and he's preparing them for his leaving, and he's telling them what they need to know, and, um, and he's giving promises to them. You know, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. I will, I will give my spirit to you. He will come and be a comfort and an advocate. And then he also makes his, in a sense, he, his last will and testament. And he says this, peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, right? Because the world will leave you, you know, money and stuff and things and that perish or whatever. You know, he says, the inheritance I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. And don't let them be afraid. Because I'm giving you, I'm leaving you an inheritance of lasting enduring peace, right? So what kind of peace did Jesus enjoy? Did he enjoy peace with God and peace within himself or peace with others? And the answer is yes. And if his peace is the peace that he gives to us and it is the peace that is for us, all of the above, peace is at the very heart of the gospel. It is a call to make peace with God. That's what the gospel is. There's been a rebellion, right? There's been a brokenness and it is a call to make peace with God. It's the heart of the gospel and among the first fruits of his spirit. Because where there is love, there is peace and joy. It is a jewel of our inheritance. My peace I leave with you. Let it rule in your hearts in the midst of whatever storm, all of life's storms. And they're different for each of you. I know many of them. There's a wide variety of things that disturb our peace. My peace I leave with you in the midst of it all. Since the fall, the human race has been in rebellion against God, rebellion against his rule over the world, in rebellion against his rule over, over us, choosing to do our own will rather than his will, to have our way rather than his way. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. And this is where all true peace has to begin. There's no sense talking about any other kind of peace, the peace that you long for. There's no sense in talking about it if we haven't settled first here where it must begin, which is we must be reconciled to God by faith in his son. We must make peace with our maker. We must bow the knee to the creator. We must come to the prince of peace if we long for real peace. Because until we are reconciled to God and that relationship is restored with our Creator, there will be no peace. God says so. Right? He declares it in Isaiah 57. He says, but the wicked, right? those who still are in rebellion against God, who have not bowed the knee to their Maker, He says, but the wicked, they're like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God. My God, for those who are not at peace with him, for the wicked. This is where it must begin. One cannot be at odds with your Lord and maker and expect to enjoy that which is his gift, which is peace.
So we must repent of our rebellion. We must repent of living for ourselves. We must bow the knee and put our faith in Christ. And then and there is where all of our sins are forgiven. The worst of your sins would be removed, blotted out, and cast and buried into the depths of the sea. Then it is that we can come before Him as Father. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore we have been justified by faith, by faith in Christ, who blots out our transgressions and our sins, and through this faith makes us right with God. And, and then therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we will have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, justified by the one who pays our debt and makes peace between us and our Maker. And so a few verses later, Romans 5.10, he says, For while we were enemies, which is the state of things since the garden, where, where the world has been in rebellion, where we were his enemies, he says, we've been reconciled, a word of relational healing. We've been reconciled to God by the death of his Son. And when that happens, how much more will we be saved? And in that sense, enjoy all of the wonders of his grace, including an enduring peace in our own lives. G.I. Packer says this, pardon and acceptance into covenant, that is adoption into God's family, is out of hostility and into friendship, out of wrath and into the fullness of love, out of condemnation and into justification. The peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. It is a state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us in our rebellion, is for us. My friends, this is the fountain of all peace, inner and outer and wherever else you hope to see it or experience it. This is the fountain from which it flows in our own, springing up like a well in our own souls and overflowing into the lives of those around us in our families and everywhere else. The peace of Christ. It is your inheritance when your faith and your trust are in Him. He gives it to you. Leaves it to you. His gift to be personally enjoyed in the inner reality of our souls. And he says, let my peace rule in your hearts. And that word to rule there is actually a word that is used in, in, the, uh, in the old context of the, of the Greek as a, like an umpire of the games. In a, it's like a game official um, who's making calls, that kind of a thing. And so it is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the official that presides over, directs, calls, and makes judgments and that kind of thing in, in the game. Then it says, in your heart, the one who should preside over, you know, and make those calls, the one who should direct and control and judge all things is the peace of Christ. And in that sense, should reign over all those things which would disturb it. Let me mention three ways that I believe that it does rule and control, can rule and control in our hearts. Three Ps. You like it when that happens, right? Perspective, presence, and power. Right? And you can remember those, right? Perspective, presence, and power. And we know perspective comes from God's Word, right? It comes from a knowledge of the truth and reality. And it does, it gives perspective on things to understand them. And that does affect how we feel about things. 
And it's here in his word that we take hold of his promises. Last week we talked about putting on love and we, we, we ended down toward that idea that perfect love casts out fear. In other words, perfect love brings peace. Where fear is quelled, peace can reign and rule. To know that we are perfectly loved by an almighty, wise, Sovereign, good, God and Father. It's the ground of all peace. To know that, that is a perspective. To know that you are not just loved, but perfectly loved, because it's the only way he does it, that he has perfectly loved you. He is wise and sovereign and almighty and good, and he has loved you as a father loves his children. He is in control then of every circumstance. Romans 8.28 says, we know, right? That's perspective. When we know something, it gives us perspective. We know for those who love God, who have bowed the knee and made peace with their creator, for those who love God, all things, he says, work together for the good. How could they work together for the good if they're not in God's control? If stuff's happening that's not in God's control, what he's saying is God is in control of everything. And when you love him, he controls it for your good. He is sovereign and almighty. All things work together. Not a few of them. And when he says all things, there's nothing in your life. Nothing. That is not being worked, ordered, controlled by a sovereign, wise, good God. Who is for your good. For the good of his children. He is in control. God does not cause every evil thing in our lives, and this is a whole nother sermon, but I'll just say it as simply as this. Well, he's not caused all things in that sense that evil has entered into the world, and, and we are, the human race is the source in that sense of all evil. The brokenness and the cursedness of our world produces evil, but there's not an atom in the universe that is out of God's control, even still. He is still God. And this is still his creation, and he is still creator. And there is nothing that he does not control. So either he does cause things, there are many things he is doing, and where he doesn't cause, he allows. And there are many things in our lives that he allows, but if it happens, he allowed it, because he could have prevented it. And he often does. Sometimes he does prevent. Sometimes he doesn't prevent. He acts positively all the time doing things. There are many times he allows things. But if he allows them, he has allowed them, and he is working them according to his own purposes in your life. God is sovereign, and to the degree that we do not believe that God is in control, and we believe this stuff just happens, and even God can't do anything about it, you know, to the degree that we don't think he's in control is the degree to which we forfeit peace. Because we know that when we love him, he is at work, ordering all things according to the purpose of his will for our good. Ann Dutton says, sorrows will not hold us for a moment beyond the appointed time. God's appointed time. Nor will they exceed their appointed degree. Who appoints that degree? Right? Paul says elsewhere that God does not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But how can he say that? How can he say God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear unless he's in control of it? And he sets the limit. 
And he knows what you can bear. Not in yourselves, but in him and by his grace and his presence. And so Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Spurgeon, said that as a physician keeps his finger on a suffering patient's pulse, that he may know just the limit to the pain which may be safely endured. So does God hold our right hand while we are passing through the furnaces of trial that lie on our road to heaven that he may support us through them, bring us forth in due time to the praise of his comforting and his sustaining grace. When we doubt God's goodness and sovereignty, fear and anxiety will rob you of the peace that he intends by knowing his gracious, sovereign, almighty hand in your life. That's why in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8, he says, don't be anxious about anything, as if it were out of God's control and he couldn't do anything about it, or he didn't know about it, or he couldn't. Don't be anxious about anything, because God's in control of everything. And in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pursue God's presence and his peace. And he says, when you do, the peace of God, which is the peace of Christ, will, which passes all understanding, which means it goes in, in spite of circumstances and doesn't always, the circumstances may not make sense. The peace of God passes all of that and will guard your hearts and your minds in the midst of it. It will rule in your hearts. It will reign in your hearts in Christ Jesus. His presence, this is perspective, when we know a good, sovereign, almighty God. And presence, then, in the times of trial, you know, in the times of trial when we tend to doubt, I see it all the time. People come into pain. Well, I can see it in my own heart. We come into pain. We come into trouble. I've, I've, I've even recently, there are so many times that we lose that perspective. And, and in the midst of pain, and it, it, the times when we need his presence and his peace are the times we tend to doubt his presence, right? Isn't it oftentimes you come into things and you start thinking, well, why has he abandoned me? Maybe he's mad at me, you know, or all the kind of things that go on in our heads when the reality is in those trials he has not abandoned us. In fact, those are the very moments that call for faith because he has promised us. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He doesn't say, because I'm with you, you'll never pass through waters, right? No, he says, when you pass through the waters, when I allow those waters to flow into your life, I will be with you. I have not abandoned you when the waters rise. I am with you. I walk with you at all times, right? And through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. God, how do you know they won't overwhelm me? If Satan has got control and there's just sin and brokenness and it just does whatever it does, how do you know it's not going to overwhelm me? Only a sovereign God can tell you. It will not overwhelm you because I'm the one who decides such things. Sovereign God. A sovereign God promises I'll be with you, and they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, and they will, it will not consume you. 
My grace will sustain you. It makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You will, when you go through the fires, you'll not be burned. He said the three of them were thrown into the fiery furnace, and there was one with them, the fourth one likened to the Son of God. I will be with you in the fires, and you will not be burned, and you will not be consumed. Isaiah 41, he says, fear not, be at peace. Why? Because I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Be at peace because I am with you. I am your God. <laughs> Sovereign. Almighty. I am God. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. That leads to the power, right? We talk about the perspective and we talk about his presence and his power. I will strengthen you. I have power to sustain you. I will uphold you. By my righteous right hand. I think of Mark 4.39. It says that Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Think of your soul. Some will say that, well, Robert, that was about the physical world. He demonstrates his power over the physical world, you know. Can you make that jump to the soul? And I said, well, absolutely. Every one of his powers over the world that he demonstrated that power was an active parable. Every one of his miracles pointed to spiritual realities. And we know that whether it was opening the eyes of the blind or raising the dead physically, that there were these. And he certainly demonstrates his power over creation, revealing his identity, but it also applies to the soul. Did we not just read that the scripture says that the heart of the wicked is like a tossing sea? Right? Churning, you know, the heart of the wicked is like a churning sea of mire and mud. And then by inference, then, what is the heart of the righteous to be? But it's a sea of calm where Jesus says, peace, be still. The sea of life may churn, and the inner sea of the soul we may experience rest and calm and peace that passes understanding. And what we have to understand here, again, perspective, full circle, is this. Peace does not come from our circumstances. And my friends, so often we're looking for it in our circumstances. Whether we're looking for it by the things that we do or to medicate or self-medicate and do, and we're looking for peace, and we're looking out there, or we look for it by looking for deliverance. I'm in a circumstance, and it's disturbed my peace, and so we think the answer is, deliver me from my circumstance, and peace is not being in circumstances. But that's not what it says almost anywhere in the Bible that I can find. If peace only comes when the circumstances are favorable or when we're delivered from them, we will rarely enjoy peace in this world. John 16, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me, not in the circumstances, but in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will, the promise is, the knowledge is, you will. And all of you are going through it in so many various ways. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for deliverance from those things. I think we should. We pray for deliverance. But we also pray, Philippians 4, that in all these things we would be anxious for nothing, and that we, in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, that we would throw and cast our cares on the God who cares about us, and the peace of Christ might reign in our hearts, that as much as we would long for deliverance, we should simply seek his presence, his grace, and his peace in the midst of them. This world, you will have trouble, but take heart, my friends. 
I'm saying these things to you that you may have peace in me. Peace that passes understanding, that defies circumstances, that is a center and a place of calm in the midst of an outward storm. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. That's that perspective of a sovereign and good and almighty and gracious God. And he will keep in perfect peace the one who trusts. That's why I said to the degree that we do not trust in his sovereignty, we will forfeit our peace. But there is a perfect peace for those whose minds are stayed steadfast in trusting in God. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us so. That you have not left us as a churning sea full of mire and mud. But you have sent the very Prince of Peace. And a gospel on his lips that speaks peace. That we might not only be at peace with you. But then we might enter into your very peace. To share it. The peace of Christ. Oh Lord may it reign and rule in our hearts. May it come even now to those who are troubled this morning. In so many ways. Oh would you speak Lord Jesus. In that word of command that says peace be still. And let the calm, gracious presence of our God settle on our hearts that we may be still, knowing that you are God and you have loved us with a perfect love. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.